You're now tuning into episode 143 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costelli joined here today with JC Costello of Velo Residential and Paul Peoples of Old Capital Lending. Together, they host the Operate for Profit Real Estate Podcast. In today's episode, we discuss the current state of the multifamily market, the lending environment, and why operational excellence will be key to success for multifamily investors and operators over the next 10 years. We've also received a lot of positive feedback on our recent Real Estate Professional series. Thank you for everybody who has tuned in and provided that feedback. And while interviews are unlikely to go away entirely from the Real Estate CPA podcast, we will be returning with our second series on short-term rentals. Lastly, before we dive right in, we do want to remind everybody about the Tax Strategy Foundation course. It's a 12-hour course for landlords that covers real estate tax and tax strategies from A to Z, and it's designed to help you save thousands and have more productive conversations with your CPA. To learn more about the course, head on over to courses.therealestatecpa.com slash tax-strategy-foundation or visit the education tab right on therealestatecpa.com to register today. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. Use code RECPA for $100 off. Again, that's RECPA for $100 off. The link will also be in the show notes below, but for right now, we're going to dive right into today's episode. Paul and JC, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your backgrounds? Thomas and Brandon, first of all, thanks so much for hosting us on your show. Uh, I'm a big fan of your podcast and your YouTube channel. Personally, get a lot of value out of it and just a lot of great information. So um, myself, I've been in the multifamily business for about 15 years. And as an owner, I have bought and renovated and managed and actually built my own property management company with uh, you know thousands of units in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metro. That's my background. But more importantly, and more recently, we also opened up a company called Velo Residential. That is a third-party property management and renovation services company in Dallas-Fort Worth. And so we are out there now with a mission to help a lot of these owners and operators out there make more money with a great management platform for them uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So my name is Paul Peebles. I'm with Old Capital Lending. I've been lending uh, on apartments for almost 35 years. I've closed about 5,800 apartment loans throughout the nation. This is what I do. Uh, We do about a billion and a half dollars worth of apartment loans each year. Uh, The Old Capital Real Estate Podcast, Cole Becker, he owns about 10,000 apartment units and he's done a wonderful job. So uh, we kind of uh, have a unique perspective when we talk uh, with JC with operations and ownership and myself with lending debt and then a historical understanding about uh, the economics of real estate investing for the last, say, 35 or 40 years. Excellent. Excellent. You know, so, you know, in this podcast, I think we're going to talk a little bit about operations, where we are in the current market cycle, lending and all of that good stuff. For the last you know number of years, it's been over ten years. I think we've been on the longest bull run in in history, getting a little long in the tooth. Many people would say in this cycle, and many people were able to just ride the market up, and operations weren't necessarily a huge component of it because you you could have your flubs along the way, 
and the market will recover. You know, we'll, we'll take care of you. But we're getting to the point where we might not be able to do that for much longer. You know, some people think so. At this point, from an investor's perspective, how important is operational excellence in the market today? Yeah, Thomas, it's it's such a great question, and I, I actually did a LinkedIn post yesterday, and it's it's definitely getting a lot of traction. I talked about the idea that the the golden age of multifamily investing, which was the 2010s, is effectively dead and over. And that's not a bad thing. If you look back in the history of the 80s and the 90s, when I first got into this business and started buying properties in the mid-2000s, all of my mentors were, were guys that had been buying properties since the 80s and the 90s. And if you think about what happened with the big tax law change that Reagan enacted in the 80s, uh, where they eliminated a lot of the passive loss uh, rules that were very favorable to buy properties. That created the, the savings and loans crisis, which actually it was a, not a great time to be an owner during that time as a multifamily guy. And in the 90s, people were just fighting to keep their properties. I mean, multifamily owners, that wasn't a sexy thing back then. And so the idea that what the pandemic did for the 2010s is it put the, the nail and the door on the golden age of multifamily. What we're heading into right now in this decade is going to be a decade where you're starting to see an increase in expenses. Uh, labor is one of your biggest cost points as an operator. That's shooting through the roof. It's really hard to find great talent, maintenance guys and, and on-site staff. That's going up like crazy. Insurance is going up like crazy. Real estate taxes, uh, You know, all of these municipalities got hit they don't have enough taxes revenue coming in. So of course, they're going to be looking for, you know, they've got their hat in hand and they're assessing these properties like crazy and, and trying to turn the crank and generate some more revenue from taxes. So you have all these expenses going up. And in the meantime, with the pandemic, it basically put a lid on the rental growth. So, you know, it's simple, you know, economics 101, right? Your, your profits are your income, gross income minus your expenses. And you got both you know, sort of tailing off at the same time, income coming down, expenses going up. So you can imagine that the margin for your profitability is so much slimmer than it used to be. And that's where we see this being an operational decade. You have to become a master operator. And actually you have to work with amazing property management companies if you're using third-party companies in order to actually hit your targets this decade, because last decade, it's pretty easy when relatively speaking, expenses were stagnant from an inflation perspective and revenue was going up four and five and 6% a year. It's, it's kind of like you look like a genius in that environment. It's not that way. Now this is an operate for profit, operate for profit decade. We were in a flip for equity decade last decade that that ship has sailed. When you say you have to be a master operator, what does a, what does a master operator look like compared to somebody who's simply making good money because of the market run-up? Yeah, great question, Brandon. Uh, you know, first of all, a master operator is someone who is a student of the craft of running a profitable business. You know, one of the things that I think people forget about in multifamily is that multifamily is no different than any other business. You have to be a master of generating revenue, which means you got to be a master marketer. You've got to be able to close the deal. So you've got to be able to lease those units. And on the expense side, you've got to pay attention to what you're spending your money on. And you have to look for operational efficiencies by using things like technology and using things like virtualization that is happening in our industry today, which will enable us to do more things on the back office side with things like artificial intelligence bots and virtual humans that might be in lower cost areas across the world instead of using your really expensive on-site staff. So 
master operator means being a student of all those sorts of things and bringing that all to bear and going, how can we run this business for maximum profit and give my customers the best experience that they've got so that when they have to renew their lease, instead of them going, this is a crap hole, I want to get out as quick as I can, they're going, this is the best property I've lived at, let me sign on for another year. You as an owner, you're right then and there making thousands of dollars to the bottom line. What's a process in your own operations that you feel like that you, you've a thousand percent mastered that if other people would learn it, understand how to operate it better, they would see significant success. However you define that. Talk, talk about a process that you've mastered. What, what have you put in place to get that done? Well, Brandon, I always like to think of doing the basics brilliantly. And I never like to complicate things. I think this business is simple if you think about it. One of the things that I've learned over the last 15 years, and this happens every single time we have a property, if we work our hardest to make our on-site employees happy, we win. It's really, really simple. So let me give you a good example. On-site staff at your properties are probably the hardest thing to find right now, and you got to pay a lot of money to get them. So if you can get that gold, those are the people that are going to close your leases and fix your broken toilet bowls. You got to have those people because they're going to make your customers happy. Now, the problem is that a lot of owners out there and management companies for that matter too, they don't actually wake up every day and say, how can I make my employees, my onsite staff's lives better and take a bunch of the back office work off of their plate so that they can actually focus on what they love doing, which is putting new butts in the seats and keeping the existing butts happy. You know, when I talk about the process piece and when you ask me about the process piece, the process is simple. Every day you wake up and go, what am I making my onsite staff do today that they shouldn't be doing that's not creating value? Either if it's, if it's creating value, it's putting a lease in the tank or it's keeping another resident happy and renewing their lease. That's where they're creating value. So things like if you're asking your onsite team to field all kinds of incoming marketing leads, like people calling in to rent your property. If you've got people that are answering the phone and they're getting 10, 15 calls an hour, that's taking them away from doing things that you could actually delegate to an artificial intelligence bot who actually can give that prospect a more immediate and better experience. And you can make your onsite staff happier by eliminating a crazy phone system blowing up their head every day, and then they don't know which way to turn. So a lot of these things are sort of doing the basics brilliantly, but you've got to leverage technology to make their lives easier. So you mentioned marketing. What are some other, other back office tasks that you feel that you've been able to successfully take off the plate of your on-site staff? Well, you know, when it comes to when it comes to marketing, Brandon, I think that what you got to do if you're a multifamily owner out there is you've really got to understand that your on-site staff could never be equipped to have the skill sets of what it takes today to do things like place Google ads, for example. You know, Google ads have gotten really complex and it's a learned art and it's a very specific skill set. So what you got to do as an owner and as a property management company is develop that expertise either in-house with people that are dedicated on a corporate side to learning this or go out there and work with third-party companies that have that expertise. Because if you're trying to get your on-site staff to become the marketers for your property, if your property depends heavily on a good marketing campaign, especially if you have a newer property, it's probably going to result in 
a crash and burn situation because they just don't have, and you shouldn't expect them to have that sort of marketing expertise to really get out there and market your property on Google the way it's supposed to be. Let's walk through a scenario. Let's say that I'm a prospective tenant and I see JC's property that I might be able to rent. And then let's say Tom is in the neighborhood too, and he owns a property there. And Tom's like the regular run-of-the-mill guy. That's not really true. Tom's a really good operator. But let's just assume. <laughs> let's just assume that Tom's this like, you know, not... And he doesn't have the operational excellence that you have. Yeah. As a prospective tenant, I give both of you a call. Yeah. What does my experience look like? What, where are the differences? Well, okay. So first, let's back up and let's go, let's go to the very first thing that, that you as a prospective renter are going to do. If you are looking for an apartment unit, in a little neighborhood, you most likely know this neighborhood. This is probably where you've spent your last five or 10 years. People don't generally move around a whole lot. They go from, you know, maybe a two mile radius to go from one property to another. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to look at all the Google reviews for my property and Thomas's property. And my property is going to have 4.2 stars and it's going to have 104 reviews. And you're going to look at that and you're going to go, wow, let me read a couple of these reviews. And you're going to read one that says, wow, the maintenance guy showed up right away. Another one says, wow, you know what? The leasing process was easy. It was all online. And then you're going to look at Thomas's reviews. And because Thomas is sort of a run-of-the-mill operator, and he's working with a real run-of-the-mill management company, what you're going to see is you're going to see a 2.7 star rating. And there's going to be about maybe between 10 to 40 reviews. And the first few that you're going to see are going to be like, I tried to call this property and it took them three days to get back to me to lease a unit. Another one's going to say, I submitted a maintenance request three times and they came and every single time it was done improperly, it was never fixed and nobody even called me to apologize for it. So Brandon, most likely if you're a person that's going to be looking to rent a property, Thomas probably won't even get a first chance to make a first impression because you would have already decided based on the reviews, you want nothing to do with this property. Now let's carry forward with your question still. Now let's say you still wanted to call Thomas's property or my property from there. Is that where you want to go with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So if you're going to go move this forward, what's going to happen is you're going to make a phone call to Thomas's property and to my property. Here's what's going to happen. You called both of our properties at nine o'clock at night because you work a shift where you don't get home from your work until seven o'clock at night. By the time you got home and got your kids fed and you're tired, and you got to move. So you, you begrudgingly, you know, found a couple of places and you put that call in, right? Okay. The minute that you called my property, you have a text message on your cell phone that you called from. And it says, thanks for calling Amber Creek Apartments. We have one and two bedroom units available. Would you like to book a tour with us? Right? Right then and there, right in the first two minutes of your call. Thomas his property, his on-site staff are not there at the property because it's nine o'clock at night. They're home with their kids. They're going to get to you and call you back once they get into the office, which by the way, they're going to get in around 8.30 and they're going to have a coffee and they're going to talk to the maintenance guys with their management meeting. And then they're going to sit down and get through all the voicemails. You'll probably get a call back around 10.30 or 11 o'clock the next day. But guess what, Brandon, by then you've already booked a tour with me because Everything that I did with my artificial intelligence bot within two minutes time. And by the way, my Lisa, my intelligence bot was having a natural conversation with you because you may have asked, well, sorry, I'm not ready to book a tour because I want to know if you accept pets because I've got a, a dog named Daisy and she's got to be part of the deal too. Guess what? My artificial intelligence bot right then and there at nine o'clock at night would tell you, yes, we accept pets. Here's our pet policy. Would huh. you like to book a tour? 
So okay. how do you, what software are you using to facilitate that? We use Appfolio uh, as a backend software provider strategically because they have a very advanced way of making the customer experience better. Lisa is a technology, Lisa, the artificial intelligence leasing bot is a technology that exists through Appfolio. And it's a technology that we've been using for the last year and a half. Is it safe to say that, you know, assuming that I don't care about Google reviews and I give both of you the call, is it safe to say that the experience you offer me will make me pay more for the exact same unit, assuming that the exact same unit actually exists in both properties? It's safe to say that the customer experience is going to bring me as an owner a better quality resident because the people that appreciate all these little odds and ends that we do are the people that we would probably prefer to have at our property. And so it's going to make us more money because even if we don't charge you more premium for your, like even if you pay the same amount of rent at my property versus Thomas's, you are probably, if you care about the experience that I'm delivering, you're probably going to be a person that pays their rent on time. And you're probably going to be a person that doesn't stay out late and party. And if you're a person that doesn't care about all that stuff, you probably might be at Thomas's property and you probably might be in effect costing me more money as an owner because of the way that you treat the property. And that's how I, I would say that it'd be less profitable for us. That makes sense. Have you been able to see like, do you have like increased close rates with the experience that you offer? And I guess you'd have to think back to before you had this type of experience implemented, you know, what does that do to your, your close rates? Here, here's the amazing thing. And Brandon, you, you asked a question, which I'm going to tell you, it's a great question, but here's the reality of being a leasing agent at a property. Okay. You're getting 10 phone calls an hour and two thirds of those people are tire kickers. They're never going to rent at your property, right? How many of those people do you actually think this leasing agent is going to take the time to enter a guest card into the system? And also, by the way, remember to ask each and every person where the source of traffic is coming from. Hmm. I'll give you the answer next to none. So when before we put Lisa into the mix, we used to think that we were the greatest closers in the world because I would look at the reports and I'd go, holy crap, we got like 20 guest cards this month and we closed 15 of them. My team is amazing. Here's the problem. There wasn't 20 guest cards or people that came in for that month. There was 100 and they didn't enter 80 of them. So what I thought I knew, I completely didn't know. When we started working with Lisa, Lisa records every single person that calls or emails. Anything that happens, Lisa records not only the person, but also records the source of the traffic. We got so much data that we started understanding that our, this is the God's honest truth. If you are a great property with a great leasing team and a great experience, you're going to close about 7 to 8% of your guest cards, your people that call that are interested in renting. So for every hundred leads you get, you'll get seven leases. If you're not great, if you're not doing your job right, you're going to be closer to like one to 2%. Mm. So the difference between what we thought we knew prior and what we know now is that we just weren't getting the data before. And so we couldn't have made any intelligent decisions on how good our leasing people were. Now we can. Fascinating. And I imagine with the higher quality tenants it leads to uh, increased retention, less turnover costs, um, which is essential for probably operating a property in this environment. Resident retention is one of those things that is a very underappreciated stat. The fact of the matter is when we were in the golden age or the 2010s and 
people were flipping for equity and people would buy a deal and hold it for two years and double or triple their money. Nobody really cared about resident retention because it was all about cycling the people out and pushing the rents. So nobody gave a crap if people didn't renew because actually that was better. They could boost the rents and sell the property for more money. Well, heading into the economy that we're in now, resident retention is very valuable because as you rightly pointed out, when someone leaves, it's costing you thousands of dollars in turn costs and thousands more in vacant and marketing costs. So if you can get a resident to renew, you've just basically made yourself a mint of money. And so it is all about resident retention in this decade. That is for sure. 100%. Is there any other things on the operational side that are crucial in, in today's environment? I think the whole concept of virtualization is something that the pandemic accelerated, but it was already happening. So in other words, if you were a property management company or an operator, and you were already pushing the envelope of using virtualization and technology to do things a lot more efficiently than sort of the old dinosaur ways. When the pandemic hit, for example, we lost the ability to interact with our residents face-to-face and our prospects face-to-face. Suddenly, for example, let's say that you didn't have any virtual tours available at your property and the pandemic and the lockdown hit. Well, if the only thing you could do was show your units and your property in person, what did you do? You did nothing. I'll tell you a story. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I'll tell you a story of an operator that was a, had a property next door to mine in Dallas. This is a billion-dollar you know, company with a lot of properties. The pandemic hit. We had already transitioned before the pandemic to virtual tours. So we were doing virtual tours and in-person tours, right? So somebody calls in, they can book a tour virtually or in person. All of a sudden, the pandemic hits. We had people calling our property prospects and residents from our a property right across the street that were saying, it's the craziest thing. We've been trying to go lease a unit at this property and they've been like closed for like the last month. I can't get anybody to answer the phone. I can't get anybody to go into the office. They're literally closed. So we saw your property and it looks nice too. So we're walking in or we called it, we scheduled a virtual tour and they told us over the Zoom, you know, Zoom meeting, like they said, hey, weirdest thing, next door neighbor is not open. It's incredible that this company wasn't worried about that. I know they lost business because they lost to us and I'm sure they lost other business. But the fact of the matter is that the pandemic has accelerated the technology trends and a lot of them are here to stay and they're going only going to grow. So the obvious ones are like virtual tours and paperless applications and completely paperless leasing processes. But we're expanding that out to, you know, next stop is renewals. The next stop is maintenance. All these things that need to be done, they have to be done way more efficiently because people just don't want to interact in person as much as they used to. You got to give them the way to do that and self-serve it because actually that's better for our staff as well. Excellent. Excellent. Shifting gears just slightly. So operational excellence is going to be key. When you see it from the market perspective, I guess, uh, from like a supply demand perspective, as we kind of continue along this path, is multifamily still, from an investor's perspective, a fundamentally good asset class to continue to invest in from just the fundamental standpoint? Well, I'll tell you, the truth of the matter is, Thomas, that what's happened in the pandemic is that multifamily as an asset class has been seen to be a very resilient investment. You know, where were people at of all places when the pandemic hit? They were in their homes. That's exactly the business that we're in. You know, if, if I had a hotel business, the pandemic, I was hurting. If I had a restaurant business in the pandemic, I was hurting. If I had an apartment business in the pandemic, 
I wasn't hurting. To a certain extent, there may have been some pain points, you know, really market specific pain points, but overall, apartments were okay. So when you say is multifamily still a great opportunity? The answer is more than ever. But you, what you have to understand is that investment is a risk reward type of, of proposition always. And so the lower the risk, the lower the yields, the higher the risk, the higher the potential yields. So what you have to do is look at multifamily as a relatively stable and low risk endeavor where you can put your money in and maybe the yields aren't going to be what they used to be because it's a very hot market in multifamily. But at the same time, you're putting your money into something where you feel a lot more safe than say the stock market. I have a lot of people that come to us every single day of the week and they say, look, <laughs> we want to get into multifamily because we want to peel off some of the money that we have in the stock market. We're way overexposed. We're worried that the market might crash. We want to put some of that stuff into a nice stable asset. So again, multifamily is a great investment and it's a great market to be in. Understand that you trade off you know, stability for yield. And if you, if you can get that, then I think it makes a lot more sense. Yes. Certainly maybe a lot more viable than the, than the cryptocurrency stuff that's going on currently. I don't know. I don't know. Because everybody's putting their money in that stuff, but anyway, uh, not according to Elon Musk, but yes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, uh, you put it, put a thousand bucks in crypto back in what, 2013, you'd probably be pretty uh, sitting pretty right now. <laughs> yeah. You, I think you would be. Yeah, I actually I had a LinkedIn post. I wrote a LinkedIn post on uh, on crypto. It was like back in I think 2018 or something when it was like gyrating and and uh, I was like, yeah, if, when when you have crypto losses to claim, come hit us up. We'll help you claim them. And you know, like all these people piled on, like, yeah, crypto stinks. Crypto stinks. And one guy was like, that's not very nice. Like people are investing in crypto and all that. Anyway, I like looked back at that the other day and I was like, ooh, that did not age well, did it? <laughs> that was not a very good, very good statement. So anyway. <laughs> that is that is pretty funny. And yes, I've done that with some of my LinkedIn posts. They sometimes they don't age well. That is that is a true statement. All right. So should we shift over to the lending side a little bit? Um, Paul, from a lending perspective, what are you currently seeing as the state of the market from the perspective of a lender? Uh one thing I do want to focus before we go into the lending side is really uh, is take a look back on some of the comments that JC has has made. So I really want everybody to really listen to to JC because no one is really talking about sharpening your operational management skills out there. Uh, you may talk with a department manager that may have a little bit of an insight, but what you're seeing out there, at least in the market that I see, you have a lot of educators, a lot of mentors, groups out there that are continuing to offer seminars and, and try to get people into the business. And they may charge a fee to educate you and hold your hand through that, which is great. I mean, that's, that's great. It gets people into this, this segment. But with JC, what he's doing out there, I think is a little bit different because once we give you the keys to your apartment building, how do you operate that property? How do you operate that property for a profit? And again, JC has a, a podcast that he's kind of the, the sole pioneer out there talking about operational efficiencies. And, you know, you know, we're talking about a whole hell of a lot of money when somebody buys an apartment building. We're not talking about two, $300,000. We're talking about, you know, 15, 20, $30 million investments on these deals. And you have to have, you have to know somebody that 
maybe you you have invested in that kind of knows how to operate these properties. And so some of the things that that I see out there through these, some of these syndication models is a lot of people who want to get into it may have never run a business. They may have been an engineer. They been, may have been a marketer. They may have been a doctor. But a lot of them don't have operational efficiency. This is a business. I mean, this is a major business. And so, you know, I'm going to plug JC in his operational skills because that's what makes up makes a property uh, work, be profitable, help tenants uh, live a better better life. So, rah rah to all the educational mentoring groups, but make sure you pay attention to how when we give you the when we give you the money, and we're your largest partner in this deal. We're we're the lender. We are going to give you 65, 75, 80 percent of the money. We want to make sure that you're not screwing this deal up. And so make sure that uh, you're operating these properties uh, with the best intentions that you kind of know what, what's going on. So I'm off my soapbox on that. Lending uh, is still very aggressive out there. Fannie Mae, Fannie Mac are just doing a lot of uh, gangbuster business. The one thing I will tell you that we're seeing right now is these uh, non-recourse bridge lenders out there because these properties have gone up in value so much that the NOI has not been able to keep up with it. So sellers are extremely proud of their properties and they want the highest price in the properties. But, you know, just based on the historical NOI, I can only go up to X amount. But with a bridge loan, they kind of view what it, the property can be in the future. So once you take that deal over, what are you going to do to improve the property? Is it a new management company coming in? Is it a new new NOI that we're going to see in the future? Not Not the first year, maybe not the second year, but hopefully the third year. So the bridge loans kind of bridge you over from what you are buying the property for to hopefully you can get that valuation down the road with a higher NOI. So bridge loans are probably the the biggest thing I'm seeing right now in the marketplace. So, you know, I think we're we're thumbs up. We continue to be thumbs up. Again, I have a with you younger guys, I mean, I have a little bit more gray hair, a little bit more wrinkles around my eyes. Just be careful. I mean, uh, when you're buying these deals, make sure you know who the operator is of the property, uh, you know, what their experience levels are, where this property is located at. Is it the phrase that Michael Becker has that uh, I think is good? You know, don't buy in the hood. So even though you, you see properties that may give you a higher yield just on paper, they may not be in good areas and that you just have to be very careful in some of the areas that uh, you're going to put your $100,000 or $50,000 or $10,000 into an investment. Make sure you do your physical due diligence in the property by going on the computer, taking a look where this investment is, take a look at the, the partnership, who is going to operate this property, who's the management company, what's their experience level, what do they own other properties in the area, have they done physical due diligence? You know, also take a look at the crime reports. I mean, that's the biggest thing that we're seeing is that in some of these crazy areas, you know, crime stats don't lie. And uh, we're very sensitive on, on crime stats. We don't want to be that guy that lent on a property that uh, there was a double murder, you know, six months ago or six six days ago. Be very careful. To, you know, check your the crime stats at the beginning of these deals. But, uh, you know, walk in there being a pessimist in these deals and try to have people prove up their ideas. That I think the best operators are the ones that can make you make an argument saying this is the reason why you want to invest with us in this area. So don't come in and think that we're still back in 2010, 11. Yields on these apartment transactions are not huge like they were back 10 years ago. They're thin. And so operating a property is the most key thing to be, be successful in this multifamily business.
100%. One quick question on interest rates. You know, you mentioned there's a lot of bridge loans and bridge loans have, you know, a relatively, you know, short life, right? Uh, Correct. Wh- where do you see interest rates going in the future? I mean, obviously we're, we're at all time lows, essentially. Is there a risk, a huge risk that the interest rates are going to rise within the next, you know, three, three years or so, whereas people should be concerned? So just remember, as I said, I'm, I'm older than you, you guys, but I was, I came into the business where home loans back in the mid eighties were at uh, 16%, prime rate was at 21%. When I see loans today on apartments that are in the threes, I'm like, that's free money. It's unbelievable. So even if it went to four, five, I think we're okay. But you, you make an important point because these bridge loans are not permanent loans. They just go in there, they fix the problem, and then they want to be taken out. And so they'll, they'll usually be three years with two one-year extensions. So three-year maturity. But if you can't solve that problem within the first three years, then you'll get an extra year. And you can't solve it in the fourth year, you'll get one more year, fifth year. But the lender does not want to be your permanent solution. So they're going to be critical uh, on these properties and what's going to happen on the third year. Uh, are you able to raise rents in the property? What's your game plan? What's your business plan? We want to hear about that. You know, some of these bridge lenders, we can go up to 75 or 80% and sometimes 85% leverage in some of the large metropolitan areas on transactions with the loan amounts greater than $5 million. But if you are in a small town in say East Texas or Louisiana or in, in the middle of Ohio with a small town, we're not going to offer the same product in, in the smaller towns versus the larger metropolitan towns. So when it comes to interest rates, be sensitive uh, where that's going to. But uh, I mean, we're, 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 you know, we're not at historic lows, but we're, we're on the rise a little bit, but we're still, it's still a very good instrument. Uh, the bridge loans to put your money into, to fix the problem, to get out of it with three to four years. But if you don't get out of it, that's where the critical part is. So just make sure you try to get this problem fixed, completed, and moved on. Makes a lot of sense. So basically we went through the operational side of things. We went through where we are currently in lending. You know, I guess the one last question that I would have here for today is from your perspective. We ask everybody this, you know, who comes on, we have this type of conversation, um, ask you to whip out the crystal ball. Um, do you foresee a, a big, you know, pullback in the market at any time in the, in the near future in terms of yeah, like a correction, if you will, in what's going on here in, in the overall market. Like a black swan event, like another pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just looking at for the last ten gotcha. years. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for for the last, no one could foresee that coming, right? But I mean, for the last ten years, it has been going, you know, pretty much, you know, relatively, you know, kind of up. Cap rates are compressed in a lot of places. It's just, you know, at what what point are we going to see a softening in the market, if at all? I think in some areas you've seen a softening in the market. In some areas, let's say uh, Northern uh, California, you know, people have now had, have had the ability to move to a place that they want to live at. They don't have to be chained to a desk in Palo Alto, California, but they can move to a state that doesn't have an income tax like Texas. So I think those are two areas where one's, I think, losing, one is gaining. I'm not saying everybody's leaving California, but there's a large percentage that continues to leave California. But I mean, I would be more concerned with areas like New York and what's going to happen with New York and some of the things that are going on with uh, rent control in New York. The biggest mystery that I have right now in terms of the overall thing that when I first got in the business, if you can remember in being CPAs and being accountant guys like yourself is the 86, 87 tax reform. And so that's kind of the the bogey that's out there that I don't know if we're going to lend, you know, push 
$1.9 trillion out to American taxpayers, what the impact is going to be to the people who actually are earning the revenue. They're going to have to pay a larger percentage of their income to the government. Uh, so, you know, could we have a change in the uh, tax structure? You bet. I think it's coming our way. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but somebody's got to pay the bill at the end of the night. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be all of us. So considering the operations information that JC shared and then the lending information, Paul, that you shared, what would each one of you say is the most important thing for people who are acquiring multifamily assets to focus on today? I'll go first if I can, JC. It's going to be really operations, to be honest with you. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that you can see on a piece of paper that uh, of rates of return that, say, new investors may not be familiar with and, and new sponsors don't really know what the hell they're doing. But you really want to see people that have track records that have done it and see how they did through the pandemic. That's a, a great indicator of how they're going to do say, in the future, if things do slow down again. Uh, so operational efficiency is probably the, my most critical piece because everybody thinks that they want to get the best rate of return on their money. But I, I'm the investor. I'm the lender. I'm the biggest investor in this deal. And I want to make sure that you guys, as the operators, are doing a good job of maintaining the best opportunity for the tenants to have on a clean property, a safe area, and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep up part of the bargain. We want you to keep up your part of the bargain by maintaining that asset as good as you can. And uh, if you continue to do a good job, we'll continue to lend you more money. But if you don't, uh, we're going to stop lending you that money and we're going to put you on the bad boy list. Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to carry along the theme of what Paul said and go with operations. I'm going to be a little bit more specific. And I'm going to also tell you that it's going to be super critical right now that you pick a great property management partner as part of your operational strategy. So it is more important than ever, if you are out there and buying multifamily properties, it's big deals. It's more important than ever that you work with the right property management company, because ultimately they're gonna control your destiny from a day-to-day -day, uh, execution perspective. You can have the greatest business plan in the world, but you gotta hand those keys over to a property management company. And so it's not always about finding the management company that has the biggest footprint. It's really about having working with the management company that's going to really have the right strategy and the game plan to make your property sing and make your property produce profit. So, you know, I'm going property management. That is going to be one of the most important things you're going to want to pay attention to as an owner of these properties. Absolutely. So if, as we kind of wind down here, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with, you know, either of you, what would be the best way for them to do so, or perhaps learn more about what you have going on? Yeah. I mean, look, if you are a multifamily owner and you are in Dallas-Fort Worth and you are looking for a, a top-notch property management and renovation services uh, partner that can help you maximize your property's investment potential, then go to our website. Uh, just go to operateforprofit.com to figure out how you can possibly work with Velo Residential. Again, operateforprofit.com and uh, you can learn all about us. And JC, you have a podcast too. What's the name of the podcast? We have a podcast, Paul, you and I, it is called the Operate for Profit Podcast. That is what we're all about. We help people make more money with less stress on the podcast. We talk about operational issues. We talk to big operators that have billion plus uh, portfolios. We ask them how they do it, what, what stress points that they're facing. It's a, a super educational podcast for people that want to understand 
how to maximize the operational efficiencies across their portfolios. And then lastly, again, uh, listen to the old capital podcast. We have 60,000 downloads a month on that one. If anybody's listening that wants to get into the investing apartments, understand apartments, uh, listen to uh, Michael Becker, James Zang, and myself when we talk about uh, apartments. And we've been doing that uh, for the last about eight or nine years or so. So like we like that. Again, oldcapitallending.com, oldcapitallending, and you can uh, contact us through that. And we lend throughout the United States. So, guys, we appreciate uh, being on your show. Likewise, it's been a pleasure having you on today. We're going to go ahead and drop all those links into the show notes below for everybody who is listening, who does want to check this stuff out. Thanks again for coming on. We made some very uh, good points here today and I'm excited to release it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.